Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 8th day of December. 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. You know, when I started doing this podcast, it was, as I said before, it was October 24th, 2012, and very early in the life of the podcast was a a trade that was a controversial trade. It was on December 9th, 2012. Uh, Four years ago tomorrow, the Tampa Bay Rays traded uh, James Shields, uh, Elliot Johnson for Will Myers, Mike Montgomery, Jake Odorizzi, Patrick Leonard, and Wade Davis. Now, I defended the trade. Now, now, at the time, Kansas City was killed for that trade because Will Myers was going to be the cornerstone of the Royals' offense. He was the best minor league hitter in the game, and James Shields was considered to be a good, solid innings eater, a, a nice pitcher, but certainly not worth the cornerstone of the organization. And throwing in a you know talented pitcher like Odorizzi, they got Shields, they got Davis. Now, I defended the trade, saying that the Royals needed to do something. They need to do something in their pitching staff to at least get someone in there that they can count on for 200 innings if they weren't just going to constantly hoard their prospects. And, you know, they, they're stupid for doing this. Clearly the Rays were, you know, have fleeced the Royals. The Royals are a stupid organization, blah, 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 blah. Well, Shields was a fine player for the Kansas City Royals and helped them go to the World Series in 2014. It was Wade Davis who was a uh, number three or four starter on a bad team, had one good year as a starter, one actually okay, but he was not, you know, he – was not considered to be a great starter and was a middle reliever for the Rays in 2012, became, yeah, his first year in Kansas City, they put him in the rotation and he was a disaster. So they put him in the bullpen in 2014, and he has been a sensational reliever. And when Holland got hurt midway through the 2015 season, he became the closer and was was... In my humble opinion, now he didn't win the uh, he didn't win the World Series MVP or the NLC or ALCS MVP, but he won the Babe Ruth Award, which is for the most valuable player of the postseason. And do you know what, friends? He deserved it. He big time deserved it because of the way the Royals staff was built. He led up um, in. That uh, 2015 postseason, he threw four shutout innings, resulting in three saves in the dramatic division series win against Houston. He threw two and two-thirds shutout innings, resulting in a win and a save in the uh, ALCS victory 
over the Toronto Blue Jays and pitched four shutout innings, allowing no hits, no walks, eight strikeouts in four innings. I'm sorry, three hits, no walks, eight strikeouts in four innings, resulting in a save and being on the mound when the Royals won the World Series. He was a difference-making reliever. And that became really the whole mantra of that Royals team in both 2014 and 2015, which was just scrap and find a way. Scrap and find a damn way to get on base and to push or run across because you know you have Wade Davis and in 2014 you had Davis and Holland. But even with Holland hurt, you knew no one was going to get a hit off of Davis. He let up one run in 24 innings between the 2014 and 2015 postseason. Winning three games out of the bullpen, although it's always weird to look at wins as a, a reliever. Saving four games, but just was, it was more than that. He just, you knew the game was damn over. And so when you had those runners on base and they were running and stealing bases and, you know, pushing to get a tie, pushing them ahead, there was a huge, huge sense of dread about having Wade Davis on the mound. Now, he's 31 years old, and we all know relievers can flame out pretty quickly. But it's pretty safe to say that he is still, despite having an injury-shortened season in 2016, that he is still one of the best relievers in baseball as of right now. And the man who was on the mound to clinch the 2015 World Series is now going to be part of the defending world champions again. Two straight years, he'll be part of the defending world champions, except he'll be doing it with a different team this time. He began 2016 as the closer of the defending world champion Kansas City Royals, and he's going to finish 2017 He's going to start 2017, sorry, as the, the closer for the defending world champion Chicago Cubs. And it still feels weird saying that sentence, doesn't it? I'll tell you something that was really weird that I didn't even realize until I started doing the research for this particular episode. Did you notice what I said in that um, when I was listing the players, uh, the minor leaguers Patrick Leonard and Elliot Johnson – were involved in the trade, but the main players were uh, Will Myers, Jake Odorizzi, Wade Davis, James Shields, and Mike Montgomery. In the trade, there were two players who were swapped, who wound up being the pitcher on the mound when their team won the World Series. It's, you forget that because Montgomery never played a game with either the Royals nor the Rays. But Montgo- you know, the, in that trade were the last two World Series clinching pitchers. Wade Davis in 2015, Mike Montgomery in 2016. Now, it was a really unlikely that Mike Montgomery would be on that list. But, hey, there he is. So he has one career save, and it was in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. And as, you're, as you probably know, your pal Sully lo- is kind of fixated on the idea of the bullpen closer and the person who is on the mound when they win the World Series. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And the fact that two of them were involved in a swap where they weren't even the highlight names of the trade. 
Well, I, I just find that interesting. I find that to be a little fascinating. But Davis is now going to the Cubs. And you take a look at the Cubs, and that means they're probably going to say goodbye, and they're almost certain to say goodbye to a role chap. Now, it's a smart move on many, many fronts, on the, you know, not the least of which is they're not going to give a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract to a closer. I understand the importance of a closer. I do. If you have a difference-making closer, that's great. But you also don't want to get one tied down. He's, he's eligible for free agency after this season. You know, so they could very well go to the postseason. And, you know, the Cubs are probably going to be a playoff team again in 2017 unless they go on a, a bender a la the New York Mets after the 86 World Series and just are so focused on doing interviews and everything like that, they forget to actually focus on winning a damn game. I don't think that's going to happen with this Cub team. I think they're at least going to be a playoff team, which will mean this will be three straight years the Cubs will make the playoffs in all probability – and each one of those years, they'll have a different closer. Hector Rondon was the closer when they were the wild card team in 2014, and 2015. Sorry, Aroldis Chapman took over as closer in the middle of the 2016 season, and they're going to start this year with Wade Davis. They're, the closer role is a revolving door in the world of the Chicago Cubs. And with Chapman, who was a brilliant pitcher to be sure, Albeit one, your pal Sully has not been very subtle about the fact that I'm not a fan of his. He's going to go, he's probably going to sign with the New York Yankees, return to the Yankees. Um, unless, of course, he, the Washington Nationals, who lost out on the, who, who lost Mark Melanson and fell short in the Chris Sale, they may want to make a big splash move. Chapman played for Dusty Baker, blah, blah, blah. That would make me a little sad because that would mean I'd have to root against the Washington Nationals this year. Uh, and I'd like to see the Nationals win. I'd like to see Dusty Baker win. But if they sign a role as Chapman, to hell with them. And if you don't believe me that I'd say that, guess what? Remember I was saying to hell with the Cubs? The freaking Cubs? Remember, I'm willing to do that. But now it's an interesting dynamic. If the Cubs... Go on, have another great postseason. Um, I mean, it depends on who they'll play. If they wind up playing the Nationals, it totally depends on whether or not they have Chapman pitching. Uh, if they play the Dodgers, you know, I, I'd love to see Clayton Kershaw do well. The Giants, they're my National League team, and they brought in Melanson, so they have no need for Chapman. Um, and some teams that I have a soft spot in my heart for, like the Pirates or even the Marlins, may have me say, well, I don't know, maybe I want them. But I feel happier for the Cubs. And imagine the Cubs going and saying, all right, we've waited since 1908. Now let's go for back-to-back. And, you know, why wouldn't they? They're going to have a solid team. Uh, if Jason Hayward rebounds and has a better season, um, you know, all of a sudden that's like making a trade. You know, having Javier Baez for the full season and hopefully having him hit well, you know, you know you've got a good infield. You know, if Baez is playing second, the, the infield of Rizzo, Baez, Russell, and Bryant is probably the best infield in the National League. You know, the, the, and having Davis closing out games, but not having him there for the huge long haul, 
all of a sudden your pal Sully is like, hey, I'd be happy for that Cubs team. And in a way, it would be kind of like, God, I wish that Jason Kipnis got a hold of that one off of Chapman in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7, that we'd be able to give the relief to the Cleveland Indians and then be focusing on the Cubs winning it all this year with Davis on the mound, blah, blah, blah. But it's not how it worked, and we have a world where Mike Montgomery is the man on the mound. But I started to think, I did a blog post about this back when I used to write nothing but blog posts. On Saturday, October 8th, 2011, and I wrote, this is the, the subject of this blog post was, pitchers who clinched a postseason series with more than one franchise. And I really thought there'd be a lot of names. I really thought that if we went back and there would be players who had played for like the 1908 Cubs or the, 19, or the Philadelphia A's. I started thinking of like A's teams that dismantled their franchises and those players went off to other clubs or the players like, you know, Carl Mays and everyone who pitched well for the Red Sox when they won the championship and found themselves with the Yankees over the years. I really thought we'd get a ton of players who pitched the final out of the World Series for one team and then another and blah, blah, blah. Well, I found out one thing that to this day I find just stunning, that no pitcher ever has been the has thrown the clinching pitch the man on the mound throwing the clinching pitch of the world series for one franchise and then for another it's never happened ever and it it's astonishing when you think of that tug mcgraw is the first pitcher to clinch a postseason series for two different franchises. He closed out the 1973 NLCS for the Mets and the 1980 World Series for the Philadelphia Phillies. Rich Goose Gossage threw the clinching pitch of the 78 ALCS and World Series and the 81 Divisional Series and ALCS for the Yankees and the 1984 NLCS for the San Diego Padres. Dennis Eckersley closed out, oddly, he only closed out three playoff series for the A's. Didn't it seem like he closed out more? The 88 ALCS, the 89 ALCS and World Series for the A's, and the 96 Division Series for the Cardinals. I bet you forgot that. He didn't close out the 90 ALCS because that Rick Honeycutt closed that one out. Uh, Randy Myers clinched the 1990 NLCS and World Series for the Reds. And then the 96 uh, and 97 Division Series for the Baltimore Orioles. Rob Nen clinched the 1997 Division Series for the Marlins against the Giants. And then as a member of the Giants, clinched the 2002 Division Series. Joe Borowski, how do you like that? Clinched the 2003 Division Series for the Cubs and the 2007 Division Series with the Cleveland Indians. And probably the name you're not expecting me to say, Papa Grande, Jose Valverde, clinched the 2007 Division Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks and the 2011 Division Series for the Detroit Tigers. Now, I may have missed one somewhere along the line, but I don't think that I have.
And so there you go. When you look around and closers change spots here and closers move from this team to that, those are the only ones who have clinched a postseason series with two different franchises. Roldis Chapman never did with Cincinnati. And you think about some of the teams and players who have jumped from team to team and players to player and this and that and to the other thing, you know, it's, it's been that. I mean, that's been it. Those are the pitchers. So Wade Davis has a real chance, a real legit chance, of joining the elite company. Some of the great closers of all time are on there. Tug McGraw, Goose Gossage, uh, Dennis Sackersley, Randy Myers was a great closer in his day, Nen. And then two who are like, wow, really? Joe Borowski and Jose Valverde? Yeah. Yeah, they're in there. Wade Davis has a chance to do it now. Now, of course, so does Chapman if he happens to sign with a team and they wind up going to the postseason. Sure, he has a chance to do that. Of course he does. But Davis finds himself in the catbird seat here. Now, I, got, I do not think Mark Melanson ever did. I'm going to have to check that. I'm going to go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. But I don't think he did because he was on the uh, he was on the the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2013. But yeah, they yeah they they he didn't even pitch in the wild card game that year. So yeah, so he's going to go to the Giants. But you know his time with the the Pirates and the Nationals, he didn't get a chance to close anything out. Anyway, I digress a little bit. So Wade Davis. A tossin in a trade that featured a solid major league pitcher and one of the brightest young prospects in all of baseball went on to win the rookie of the year that year was on a trade that involved two pitchers who got to experience the feeling of not only closing out the World Series but doing so in extra innings. Remember the clincher in 2015 against the Mets was in extra innings. And we all know this last year when they brought out uh, uh, Davis, or they brought out, sorry, Montgomery to clinch in Cleveland. That was an extra innings as well. So Davis can be in rare form, in rare company, for a Cubs team that all of a sudden is no longer the team that can't win. So they're now also a team that your pal Sully can say, okay, all right, I can root for this team now. I can root for this team and not have to worry about the person who would be on the mound being someone that I abhor celebrating. And that would be kind of nice. And that being said, I'm sure there's a lot of other teams right now who are thinking like, hey, look it, I kind of want to sort of see my team win the World Series. Why does it have to be the Cubs every single year? So for that, I say, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the closer position and trying to figure out who will be listed in this very strange fraternity 
of players who have clinched it for more than one team. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the eighth day of December 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.